Welcome to the Fergus Falls Business Spotlight Podcast, the show that takes a deep dive into local businesses and the individuals that run our community. To guide you along the way, here's your host, Jacob Bittner. citizens of Fergus Falls. Imagine, imagine if you will, just put yourself in this scenario. You are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, Becca Marsnick (laughs) may be appointed to you. Becca, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I've been I've been planning that one out. If you guys I, haven't, if you guys haven't noticed, I've been waiting for that line. <laughs> but we're here with good. we're here with Becca Marsnick, public defender here in Ottertail County, a Fergus Falls resident. I'm really excited. I haven't had a lawyer on the show yet, so I'm really ex- excited to dive into the law and specifically what it means to be a public defender. So, well, absolutely, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, before we get going, I offered you a beer. You passed this evening. I did. I am drinking. Not a sponsor, the yet, not a sponsor yet, <laughs> Outstate Brewing. I have this uh, delicious, freshly canned back road hazy IPA I'm sipping on, and it's wonderful. Um, but I do need to mention the official sponsors of the show, Stumbino's Coffee, uh, Elevate, Victor Lundin's Hotel 8, Biffley's Bookmark, and Lakes Area Grow Co. So they are all integral parts of making the show happen. So thanks a lot, guys. Um, okay, Becca, let's get into, before we talk law we have some cool stuff about like the history of law and we can't talk specific cases well here's what here's what we said ahead of time you can't talk specific (laughs) cases i can ask whatever questions i want yes and it's up to you to navigate those questions you can ask whatever you want and i have the right to remain silent you can plea the fifth yes is that was that was that a proper use of that term to not incriminate yes. yourself. Yes. You keep your mouth shut to not incriminate yes. yourself. Yes, I plead the fifth. There we go. Yeah. But I don't think we're going to get anything too pressing. We're going to talk <laughs> general yeah. general uh, public defender stuff. But before before we do, let's get into your story a little bit. Okay. You're a Fergus girl? No. I did not know where Fergus Falls was for <laughs> until I moved here. I, uh, I was born in uh, central, south central Minnesota in Hutchinson. Uh, and then moved to Western Wisconsin, where I spent, you know, the rest of my childhood. Went to college at the U. Uh, then I went out to Pennsylvania for law school. Thought I was going to live out east. Um, realized I hate Washington D.C. Um, I like visiting, living not so much. Um, and I was like, I'll take Minnesota winters. And so I came back here, um, applied all over the state, and they offered me a job in Fergus Falls. I said, Well, it can't be that far from the cities, hmm. and was wrong. It's not that far. It's. <laughs> It's not that far. It's far enough. It's, you know, it. I when I first moved here, I was nervous. I was like, I don't know how much I'm gonna like it. It's really grown on me. Yeah. I, I'm really liking it now. So you grew up in a city like a bigger. You're used. You're not used to like small town Fergus Falls life until you got here. Really? No, not really. I grew up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which okay. is like seventy thousand. Yep. So you know, just a good size city. And um, on top of being a public defender, 
you're also the coach of the high school speech team here. Yes. So the two thing, the two go hand in hand. Were you then growing up? Was that like kind of a passion of yours? Debating speech was that something you were into from a young age? Yeah. So it's kind of a funny story. So my dad is a chemical engineer by trade, and so I always thought I wanted to be a chemist, and I did study chemistry in college. Um, and so I was convinced I was like, I want to be a nuclear engineer. I want to do all this other stuff. And then I did the speech team in high school. And one of the years I did a category called oratory, where you write your own speech, uh, persuasive speech and perform it. And I said, what can I do where I can do this for the rest of my life? (laughs) And that's how I got to law school. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what were some of your first jobs in high school in Eau Claire? I worked at Office Max. Okay. For, you know, a year or whatever. But otherwise, you know, typical babysitting, things like that. And were you into other activities besides like debate and speech? Did you have other hobbies and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I was I was on the swim team um for a long time and I was a trumpet player. So I was in the uh main like wind ensemble and our top jazz band. All right. There we go. Um and then college, where you said Pennsylvania, did you go out there? Do you have an undergrad somewhere? How long, I, how long do you go to school to be a lawyer? <laughs> I went to school for, um, technically it was like six and a half years. Um, I went to college at university of Minnesota. I did my undergrad. Um, and so I did that in three and a half years. I majored in communications and minored in chemistry and sport management. And then I went out to Penn state's Dickinson law for three years for law school. Okay. Gotcha. So, and then, um, you kind of mentioned briefly how you ended up in Fergus falls, but (laughs) did you, when you're going to be a public defender or be a lawyer, I assume when you're in school, you're choosing the route of law that you're going to go into, or you you get a general law degree and then kind of go from there. How does that work? Yeah. So the degree is a general degree. Um, my school had concentrations you could do on top of it, but it wasn't required. So I did a concentration in criminal and civil litigation because I knew I wanted to be a trial attorney. And so I specifically took classes because I knew this is what I wanted to do. But a lot of other people didn't do that. A lot of people took classes because they knew these are the subjects on the bar exam (laughs) and I want to learn them now. Mm -hmm. And that's also a very valid way to go through law school. And it, you know, creates good lawyers as well. Um, so how then did you get into, you decided public defender because that was like your easiest route to being a trial attorney, like be at going, being at trials. Yeah, I was, I was kind of torn on which direction I wanted to go either, uh, public defense or criminal prosecution because I care about, um, a lot about justice and I felt, you know, public defense is great and I, re- I've really enjoyed doing it. Um, but you help individuals. Whereas in criminal prosecution, you can change um, really the system. Hmm. You know, you can change it from the inside. And so I was really debating, um, and I had almost an offer from actually a, a district attorney's office in New York, upstate New York, and then I ended up not doing that. Um, so I was kind of applying to both, um, but I knew I, I knew I wanted to do criminal. I just didn't know which side and I knew I didn't want to work in a law firm. Gotcha. Um, what I guess was the path then you applied with the state and they assigned you to Fergus Falls. Um, you like apply in general to the state of Minnesota public defender. Honestly, I don't really remember. Um, I think what 
I did was I think they had like openings in different districts. And so I remember, I think I just applied to a bunch of different things. I got a call from the St. Cloud office because we're in the seventh district, which covers, you know, Benton County all the way up to Clay County. And so I got a call from the St. Cloud office, which is kind of where we're based out of. And they had three openings. They had openings in St. Cloud, Foley and Fergus. And um, I didn't even realize that when I was interviewing. I was just like, yeah, I'm looking at a job interview. Um, And then when they called me, they offered me the job in Fergus. Hmm. They were like, yeah, we think you'd fit in well. And Awesome. So (laughs) what year did you graduate high school? High school, 2012. 2012. And college? 2015. 2015. And then when did you move to Fergus? 2019. 2019. So what'd you do? What was that in between period between graduating college and Fergus? Oh, so that was, so I graduated college. I graduated undergrad in 2015. Gotcha. And then I had a semester off because I graduated college a semester early. And then I took a semester and worked not a great job. (laughs) What was that job? I was answering phones for a wholesale boat company. Oh, hey, there you go. Yeah, it was, you know, not what I wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, you know, it paid the bills. And so uh, I, then I went to law school. I took the bar um, over the summer in 2019. Um, I lived with my parents in Wisconsin for that. And then I moved here October 2019. Okay, so talk about the bar. Talk about the bar a little bit. Because the only... um, notion that I have of it is the movie Catch Me If You Can, which it's a great movie. Yes. And and from my understanding, it's based on a true story. So that guy actually didn't go to law school. He just like took the bar exam and passed it. Um, I'm guessing it's hard. Yeah. It's honest. <laughs> honestly, the bar exam is one of the worst things I've done in my life. Because mm. <laughs> what you do with it is you study for 10 weeks. It is your full-time job for 10 weeks to study for this exam. There are 14 different subjects that you have to know. And it's a two-day exam. One day is all writing, and one day is all multiple-choice questions. And the multiple-choice questions are like (laughs) a paragraph of text. And then it gives you four options. It's like, yes, reasoning, yes, reasoning, no, reasoning, no, reasoning. And... Literally, the way they say it is, you're not looking for the right answer. You are looking for the perfect answer. Oh, my gosh. It was, I had actual meltdowns studying for the bar exam. Did you have to take it more than once? No, thankfully. Okay, Okay. so that's, is there a, is it a pass-fail? Do you get like a score on it? Is it just a pass-fail? You do get a score, yeah. You do get a score. What was your score? I think it was 314 out of, I, I'm not sure exactly what it's out of. I think it's out of 400. I know I needed 260 to pass in Minnesota. Okay. So I was, I was clean. I was, there you go. Nice job. Thank nice you. Job. Yeah. Yep. Um, we were talking about uh, punishments for our fantasy football league ah. the other day. And someone says that the loser has to take and take the ACT and post their score. We should make the loser take the bar exam instead. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be, that would be funny though. It that, sounds like a p- terribly painful um, it was, experience. Yeah. But, so <laughs> there's a lot of, um, I suppose, stereotypes surrounding public defenders. Oh yeah. Do you care to address those? I mean, yeah. the, the, the first being like, well, you're going to get, it's going to be a, a inferior, yep. inferior lawyer compared public to, pretender. compared to whoever you'd hire. Yep. Um, obviously you get 
who you get and it, that happens on an individual basis. I'm sure those yeah. stereotypes do exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to touch on that at all? Or some other yeah. stereotypes you've heard about public defenders? Yeah. Well, my favorite is being called a public pretender. Um, I, I always get a kick out of it. Um, I think one of the biggest things that people don't realize is that public defenders are lawyers. Like I am the same amount of a lawyer as a private defense attorney or a prosecutor. But I think people think that because we're employed by the state and we're not being paid directly by our clients, that we're just like random people off the street. Um, And so I always try to reassure my clients like, no, (laughs) actually, I'm a real lawyer. Um, But also, you know, we are overworked, which I absolutely agree on, especially when you're in big cities. Mm. And so you might not get the individualized attention with a public defender that you would get with a private attorney that you paid for. Mm. But with a public defender, you're getting someone who's in court every day. Right. And I do far more trials than my private counterparts. Mm. Not that they're not good. They do excellent work. But, you know, I did seven jury trials last year. I know some private attorneys who don't go to trial in years. Hmm. And so it's, you know, what you are getting with a public defender is somebody who really has that experience Hmm. of being in the trenches. And especially with where, where you're at in your career, you're, you're young. Yeah. You're very young. So it's, um, it, it helps getting that repetition earlier, early in your career. It's, you know, by the time you're 10 years into your career, you're going to have a lot of experience that other lawyers may not have in, in court. So exactly. that's interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, you know, I always tell my clients and cause a lot of times they'll come to me and they'll say like, Oh, I'm thinking about hiring a private attorney um, or whatever. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to be offended if you hire private. First of all, it gets a case off my caseload, but that's not really the issue. Um, But it's, you know, you didn't choose me, you know, and I didn't choose you, but that's my job, right? I I don't really care who my clients are, who I get, but this is your life at stake. Mm. You should have someone who you chose. Yeah. Do you, we'll get into... I don't want to get too into like asking about your specific job right now because it'll be yeah. later, but do you find it hard to, hard to do your job? Like, do you find it really hard to defend people who, who are clearly guilty? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, you'd think it would be hard, but it's not. I mean, sometimes it kind of is, but you learn very quickly how to compartmentalize. And so I'm often able to say, it's like, yeah, well maybe you did this, but this cop did something wrong or, <laughs> You know, well, here's this technicality, and that's what's kind of fun about it. Oh yeah, you know, like it's it's not my business if they're guilty. Mm. <laughs> it's my know, business if everyone. Do did you know anything job. about the o, Do you know anything about the O.J. Simpson case? I love the O.J. Simpson we, case. Talk, talk to me about it. What happened with O.J.? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that the state screwed the pooch on O.J. Simpson. Like they make. First of all, I mean. Clear as day, making him put on the glove was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Um, And I think they just didn't, they felt like they had such a strong case and they took advantage of that and let it make it so they didn't do a good enough job. Did he get off on a technicality? Is that what happened? Well, he got acquitted. I mean, so like the jury found there was reasonable doubt. Okay, gotcha. And so, and the thing is too, that I would point out is, 
just because the jury found him not guilty doesn't mean they think he didn't do it. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Like I've asked jurors that before in my own case. I'm like, so did you think he didn't do it or did you think they didn't prove it? Mm. And a lot of times they're like, we think they didn't prove it. Interesting. Which is fair. You know, that's the point of trial. Um, so we talked a little bit about how your job works. You work for the state of Minnesota. Um, that is one. It's almost like a huge corporation of lawyers, public defenders, or it's uh, explain that structure from the top down. Yeah. So we have the board of public defense that kind of runs the whole thing. Uh, we have our chief bill ward who is the chief public defender of the state. And then there are nine, 10, 11 districts. I don't remember how many districts there are. I should know. There are 12 districts. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't know how many districts there are. And the (laughs) capital. Um, no, there's a, there are districts, and each district has a chief public defender in the district. And then with like satellite offices in the district, each one has a managing attorney. So like our district is unique because we're the seventh and eighth district combined under one chief that works out of St. Cloud. But then, you know, we have satellite offices here in Fergus Falls. We have one in Moorhead. We're just creating one in uh, Detroit Lakes. And then the eighth district has their office in Wilmer. Hmm. Okay. And who's in charge of our local, uh, like who's your immediate boss? Ruth Lee is my supervisor. Gotcha. She's our managing attorney. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I don't know if Ruth gave you approval to be here if you had to ask, but I have not told her. So (laughs) she's been in trial all week. I mean, you, you can, you can (laughs) say, you can say what you want about this as a lawyer, but I've always said it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. You know, I looked at my social media policy and, Things like that before I came here, and I'm good. Okay, <laughs> good to go. Good to go. I'm a lawyer. I know how to read contracts. <laughs> right on, right <laughs> on. So, um, let's talk a little bit about the history of the legal realm. Okay. Um, what is? How do you? Uh, is it the code of what Hammurabi? Do have you heard of that Hammurabi? Maybe. Co- I haven't, haven't, this is chat GPT here. This is my (laughs) lovely assistant going to work for me 15 minutes before the episode here. But it appears that the earliest written legal code um, goes back to like ancient Mesopotamia. So I actually just had a couple episodes. I had um, Taylor Gray, who is a Fergus grad, who is a research professor at Penn State of religious studies, like Mesopotamian Mm -hmm. studies. So we actually mentioned that like the earliest forms of writing were like legal text and that type of thing. And that probably is this, like that would be like around 1700 BC, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I mean, wow. around there, but then um, you kind of had the Roman law start to rise and establish its, its itself BC. And then um, obviously there was, you know, after, after the, during the fall of the Roman empire, there was sort of a, a lapse period where like there wasn't, there was more of a, it was like kind of a, Medieval, the medieval times, yeah, right? Like, yeah. the, and 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 just like a lot of um, personal hygiene. I mean, I've had all. We, we've talked about all the different stuff that's happened during the medieval times that have like kind of we were barbaric. Law yeah. was law was very similar in yeah. those times, um, and then it wasn't really until um, it looks like the rediscovery of the revival of Roman law in the 11th century. It says here is where we started to kind of. Um, maybe start to civilize ourselves, but it really wasn't until like it would have been, I suppose 
12th, 13th centuries when common law, it looks like you had yeah. Harvard, and that's where- you have Harvard school of law, which was the first school of law founded in 1817. Yeah. So that's really like kind of when all this stuff started to happen, but you as a public defender really didn't get, um, into the picture until like the sixties. It Correct. looks like. So up until that, I mean, you were, you can see the development here. Um, obviously the U S constitution was huge. Uh, was like a big legal document throughout mm-hmm. history, especially for us as we live here and establishing the law of our land. Um, and then we have many, many examples uh, it, throughout history where the name of the case becomes a law, right? Or like yep. the name of the case, the most famous being Roe v. Wade. Everyone knows that. Yep. I don't know who, I don't know what anything about the case personally. <laughs> oh, I know kind of what it was about, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like, but I know Roe v. Wade is an abortion thing, you yes. know? So there was a few other ones that were, um, that were sort of big in the history. One of them was, uh, Gideon versus Wainwright. Yeah. Is the one that created public defenders. Um, so there's always been, so I always say my work is in the fourth, fifth and sixth amendments. Um, the sixth amendment, uh, has that allowance for if you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you. Um, but there was no system for that. Um, so, or it wasn't necessarily one will be appointed to you, but it was, um, you have the right to an attorney. And so what Gideon did was it said, well, you have the right to an attorney. States need to provide it Hmm. if you can't afford one. Hmm. And so, um, that's our system in the, like our, electronic filing system in my office is called Gideon because it is so fundamental for us. Interesting. Yeah. It's why my job exists. Yeah. So that, and then a few years later, the Miranda versus Arizona established the, the the reading of those rights when you actually get arrested. And so Miranda is about the fifth amendment rights, which also includes the right to an attorney. But during the, uh, like investigative stage before you've been charged with a crime when you're being interrogated. Okay. Like innocent tell proven guilty type thing, sort of. Sort of. Yeah. But so what's interesting about Miranda is that it only, and this is something I have, I have to talk to my clients about this all the time because I, you know, probably once a week get a client calling me and say, well, they didn't read me my rights. My case has to be dismissed because, you know, everyone's watched law and order. And that's what they do. They arrest you and they read you your rights. And so everyone thinks that's when they have to read it. But they only have to read you your rights if you are in custody. So if you're not free to leave and they're asking you questions. if So it's called custodial interrogation. So like if you and I are sitting here and you're a cop and I'm not free to leave and you're asking me questions, that's still a custodial interrogation. But if you're arrested in the back of a cop car and you just start talking... That's not a custodial interrogation. Hmm. So us sitting here, you would have to read me my rights. So he, had, we, he would have to read the rights before you get put in handcuffs in the back of the car? Nope. No. It's not required. That's not what Miranda says. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. So what is the legal, like obviously if you, um, like in a traffic violation situation, one of the things you mentioned when we were out the other night is she goes, the best advice I can give people when it comes to the law is just break one law at a time. Yes. You know, if, <laughs> if you're going to break the law, just do it one at a time. Just you one know, at a time. if you're speeding, don't break another law. <laughs> if you're 
if you've had maybe like if you're a little over the limit, don't speed, yeah. don't break any other laws. You got a brick you know? of cocaine in your trunk, like use your turn signal. That's right. You know? Just an idea. <laughs> use your, so you've you've had some we've had some interesting cases in Fergus Falls. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I would say most of my cases that come from a lot of most of my cases come from traffic violations. Okay. And almost all of them is because they broke more than one law. The brick of cocaine in your in your trunk, you've seen it? Not a brick of cocaine, but I've seen a lot of meth. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a problem. It is. It it's really is. It's a big is. problem in our town that people don't really talk about it. But like, yeah. would you say that, unfortunately, that's what you deal with a lot of? Mostly. Mostly meth. Yeah. A, Mostly meth. Dang. I would say, yeah, probably 75% of my caseload has meth somehow involved. Oh. It might not be that they're charged with possession, Um but, you know, it's like they burglarize someplace because they're looking for something to steal and sell, things like that. So it's it's a bigger issue than just using. So Yeah, so it's, it's one of those, that's like, uh, well, if we're trying to, if we as a community are going to try to keep anything out of it, like meth is a good thing to try to keep out of your community. Yeah. You know, it's a good thing to try and keep <laughs> meth out of your community. So I'm all for it. If that's 75% of the cases going through our court system, I feel, I can feel good about that. You that's know? fair. That's fair. I think my position on it. And of course this is because, you know, I work with these people. I think that, I think that so often in our system, we're so focused on getting the conviction for it. You know, we're like, Oh, we have to, you know, get the numbers show like, yeah, we're tough on crime. We're, but these people then get out of jail and don't have the resources to not go right back to it. Mm. You know, I've had clients straight up say to me, I shouldn't get out of jail because I'm going to go on the street and go find my dealer. You know, I need some place to go. And so that's why it's really great to have, you know, the human services department and things like that who can help them find these places to go, get them into treatment. Um, There's a new apartment complex I saw that's being built uh, for people with like uh, mental illness and substance use disorders and things like that. And I think that's great. It gives them a place to go and stay. The Matthew House here in town um, is a really great place for uh, men. It's for um, who are recovering or dealing with uh, legal issues and substance use. So it's those resources that really help. Um, and sometimes the system, the criminal system can help with that because it can get them on the right track, but sometimes it just gets them, you know, <laughs> continually in trouble. Yeah. So um, besides 70% of the time dealing with the meth heads, what was your day-to-day look like? So, you know, in general, are you going to meeting with people in jail? Like, do you sit down with people who are in jail and do the talk through the glass with them and stuff? I do sometimes. We sit in the same room if I go into, if I okay. meet them in the jail. Yeah. Uh, they'll, yeah, we just have a meeting room. Um, you know, there are obviously safeguards in place because uh, I have been. Uh, have you been assaulted? N- not quite. Dang. But, um, but tr- like somebody tried to assault you? Yeah, we've Dang. all been pretty close. Um, and like I have clients who aren't allowed out of their cell or something because they'll do that if they get out. So um, I do that. I um, Some Hannibal Lecter types uh, out there. Right? Jeez. Nah, mostly they're good. Mostly they're low-key people. They just, you know, they're yep. going through a bad time in their yep. life. Yep. That's yep. what it is. So... But yeah, I, you know, I'll meet with clients a lot. I uh, honestly, a lot of my day is sending emails. <laughs> yep. It sounds and like calling clients and just being like, 
hey, just checking in. You have a plea hearing next week. Do you have any questions? <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, that's what a lot of it is. Like, it's kind of just babysitting my cases. And then I'll, before I meet with a client, I'll go through all the evidence in the case, look at, do we have any legal challenges? Um, what are our chances if we go to trial? So that way I can go to my client with all of our options. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll get a plea offer um, if there is one and then go to my client and I'll say, okay, here are your options. What do you want to do? Because it's their choice. So yeah. So you mentioned that you did seven jury trials last year. Okay. Twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty three. I think it was seven. That's what I remember. So (laughs) then all of the other cases settled out of court. Yes. So there's only seven clients that you had that were like, nope, we're going, baby. Yeah. I mean, two two of those were from like three of those. I think were from like 2021. Okay. Like they were old cases that have just been sitting and waiting. Um, so I'm really glad those got tried. I still have cases that are years old that still need to get tried. Dang. So what causes those kind of hiccups and and what happens to the person in that waiting period? I mean, so what causes it is they, there's a kind of a hierarchy of cases that go to trial. Only one trial can go per week. Like it's not like they can have multiple going per at a time. Interesting. I just so, assumed there was always, it's always a trial going no, on. I so, just assumed there was always court TV happening. No. <laughs> no. So um, there's only one trial that goes per week. So there's one judge who has trials scheduled. And so then what they do is they'll have what we call it jury roll call on Thursday mornings where the judge for like two weeks out has everyone show up and say if they're still going to trial. Then the ones that are left that didn't like plead out or get continued, um, the judge sends out a order of like, you know, it's often literally just oldest to newest case, but it's like, you know, you have the right to a speedy trial. So if there's a speedy demand oh, made, yeah. that's going to be first. Um, you know, if there's some question, they'll go off of, you know, is the person in custody? Um, is there a victim in the case? Uh, that sort of thing. So they'll look at a lot of that. So a lot of my cases that I have are older, while they're very, very important to my clients, um, they're lower level cases. You know, we're talking misdemeanor trespasses, misdemeanor thefts, okay. um, low level drug offenses. So it's not like you have somebody sitting in the jail waiting for a trial. No, no not un- the only time you would have someone sitting in the jail waiting for a trial like that is if they did not explicitly request like if they were okay doing that essentially. Huh. So, um, cause I, if I have a client in jail, pretty much automatically demand a speedy trial. So what, walk me through the process here. Let's say I go rob a M and H up the, up the street here. Okay. They get me. This is all. Of course, of course, of course, of course. I'm just, yeah. M and H definitely wouldn't be my target. Definitely wouldn't be my target. I'm looking for hypotheticals here. I don't know. It is but let's, a lot of people. Let, let's just say I were to rob this convenience store, get my $200, walk out. They get me on camera. Sure. Am I going to get arrested and put in jail right away for that? Or am I going to get like uh, summoned to court? How's that going to work? I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to give you a very lawyer answer. It depends. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if they like catch you in the act, they might arrest you there, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if they determine it was you later, they'll probably just file a complaint against you 
and they'll either issue it as a summons to court or they'll issue it as what we call a complaint warrant, where they'll actually issue an arrest warrant for you. Okay. And they do that a lot in bigger cases, um, you know, more serious offenses where they might want to actually keep that person in jail for a bit. But a lot of times for lower level offenses, they'll just issue that summons. Right. Okay. That, that makes sense. So like it, if you have an, if you have a warrant, yep. then you're going to get arrested if you yep. get caught with that. Yeah. Interesting. And you can get warrants for all different kinds of stuff. Oh, I yeah. mean, there's traffic, are there, tra- there's traffic violations that you can get warrants for if, if, if left. Yeah. Um, untouched. so f- Yes. There are. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. So if it's like just a petty misdemeanor traffic violation, like, you know, you were 15 over the speed limit or something, they'll give you a court date for that. Um, and if they don't, and if you don't show up for the court date, they'll just enter the conviction. Hmm. You know, um, it'll just be a default judgment or you can just pay the fine, you know. Hmm. Um, but if it's a serious traffic violation, um, that would raise it to the level of a misdemeanor, then you're going to get a court date and you have to appear at that court date okay. because that's when, um, if it becomes a misdemeanor, that's when jail is a possible penalty. And so then you're going to have to actually show up. Interesting. Interesting. I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a warrant. That's good. I don't think I've ever had one of those. You know, you'd probably know if you did. Okay. Yeah. Cause you'd probably have been arrested. <laughs> you'd probably have been arrested. Nice. Um, <laughs> Anything you should. Anything else you want to share about your job that you think is interesting? Can can we talk about? Um, I know you can't talk about the specific cases in those seven trials, but can you talk sure. about like your success rate? Like, did you did you get? Was it worth it for any of those seven to oh, go? Oh, absolutely, it was. I think of the seven, four of them were not guilty. Okay, verdicts. and a couple of them were very quick not guilty verdicts. Dang, like 10, 20 minutes, and. What, I guess, without mentioning things specific, what goes into like uh, somebody ending up in court for something they didn't do? How does that happen? All Ooh. different kinds of things can happen. Yeah, yeah. Like, could you give a, could you give a, an example without giving an example? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so often it happens when there's um, an alleged victim who's making a statement. Mm. That's usually where it ends up coming. And it's like, who do the police believe? Because as much as TV would like you to believe that, you know, forensics comes into play, it doesn't. So often it's he said, she said in court. And it's just, who do you believe? So if the cops believe the victim or who says they're the victim, that's what they're going to rule with. And so, and you see it a lot then with, you know, in domestics, they usually believe the woman Mm. because- that's what we think in society. If somebody's accusing a black man of assault, they're probably going to believe that. Oh, that sort of thing. So, you know, and that's obviously not, that's an overgeneralization. Yep. But um, that's kind of how it happens. It's just who do you believe? And a lot of times those implicit biases we have come into play. And so it's my job then when I get in front of the jury to try to dispel those. So it's not like uh, the shows where there's like the forensics lab and they're the (laughs) ones that are actually determining what's happening. No, no, it's you, it's you guys and your words. And just like, how do I feel about this? (laughs) No, it's a lot of feelings. No, what I do, I mean, 
my go-to in trials, I would, I would hide this, but I've done it so many times now. I think the prosecutors just know. I'll go up there and I'll be like, here are the different options of what happened. If you think any one of them that is not the state's story is realistic, is reasonable, my client's not guilty. Huh. There you go. I do that every time. There you go. The prosecutors don't like it, but huh. I mean, that's kind of their job. Could you ever see yourself? Uh, you like your job. Mm-hmm. You love it. Could you ever see I yourself do. uh, doing something different in the future? I could. Um, I'd love to teach someday, um, but I want to work here for 10 years first so I can get that public interest loan forgiveness. <laughs> um, <laughs> and go. I think that- Oh, law- through the state. Yeah. The state will give you- No, co- the, or- the federal government will- if you work for in the public interest for 10 years, they'll forgive your student loans. As a, so, so you get to go to law school for free if you yeah. put in 10 years of service as a public defender. I mean, I already went to law school for free. My I, um, my loans are for my living expenses. How'd you get to go to law school for free? The school paid for it. They gave me a full ride. How'd you do that? You were super smart or what? I Well, they thought I was. What you have? A, were you like a Val Victorian in high school and all oh, that? Oh, God, or? no. no? I, I did not do that well in college. Um. But they they really liked my resume when I applied for law school um, because I had such a diverse uh, areas of study, um, and I did decently well. But I think they the school I went to is was very small at the time. It's still quite small, but like I graduated with fifty five people, um, so they were really looking for specific types of people to go there. Gotcha. Um, and I was very intentional about what I wanted to do and um, how I wrote my personal statement. And I think I did well on the LSAT, if I remember. And so, yeah, it hmm. they, they ended up liking me, giving me a full ride. Here's, here's a controversial question. People okay. are, you're going to, you might, you, you might like this question. Some people might hate this okay. question. Do you think you would have got the scholarship if you were a man with the same credentials? Yes, I do. Okay. And the reason I say that is because my roommate in law school was a man and had similar college credentials as I did, and he also got uh, a scholarship. Okay, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was like one of those, like, they just need to, you know, because no. there's a lot of talk. I mean, what I'm sure you do, you probably think about that a lot, that oh, yeah. um, we need to fill, we need to be diversified. We need yep. diversity in race, in sex, in yeah. everything, and um it causes sometimes uh, a different, and I, I, I wouldn't ever say that. I just was, I was just curious. I was just curious. Yeah. No. There was a demographic that they need to fill, but you are, I can tell talking to you because that you have that. I want to talk about the speech team. Okay. I want, Cause you have that yeah. speech that uh, I would love to debate you about something I, off the microphone. You know, we'll find something we disagree on and we'll right. just debate about it, yeah. but talk about speech team. How'd you get involved with the Fergus falls high school speech team? Um, the way I got involved is super boring. I moved here and was like, I need something else to do. And I looked up the speech team, found the head coach at the time and emailed him. I okay. was like, Hey, I'll volunteer. He was like, we actually have a paid assistant position. I said, even better. Even better. <laughs> Sweet. So that's how I got started. And he stepped down as head coach last year. And so, um, then they hired me as the head coach and I forced him to stay on as an assistant. And how long is that speech season? So, um, we had our first meet on January 27th. It was our home meet. And then state is April 20th that weekend. Okay. So it's a long season. Nice. Um, what do you do at a speech debate or a, <laughs> a speech meet? Sorry. Yeah. So it's, it's not debate. It's no, speech. It's not. Yeah. Okay. They're entirely different activities. Um, so it's 
kind of interesting. There are usually three rounds. So, and in each round, you're in a room and you'll speak against six people. You Like, there'll be six people in the room. You give your speech. Everyone else gives you speech. A judge is in there. The judge will give you a critique and rank everyone. So there'll be three of those rounds throughout the day, like one at 9 a.m., one at 10.30, one at noon. Um, and then they take all of the data from those rounds and uh, determine who the best six, seven, eight were and make a final round based on that. And then those people do the same thing again against each other and get ranked to get their awards at the end. Interesting. Yeah. And and you just help the kids prepare their speeches or prepare what they're going to say or yeah, so, topics. So, um, is it pr- impromptu? Like, is it impromptu? Everything's impromptu? No. So, um, a bun- most people have scripted pieces that okay. they find. So, like, the practice I have tomorrow morning is with um, girls doing duo interp, which is two people performing a script together, um, but they're not allowed to look at or touch each other. <laughs> Interesting. So um, that's one of my favorite categories. I went to nationals in that in high school. And so I really enjoy that. Um, my favorite category is original oratory. So you write your own persuasive speech and you perform that. So we do have one kid in that this year. Um, and then there's like humorous interpretation, drama interpretation, where you're performing, but on your own, um, hmm. these scripts. And so, um, but then there is extemporaneous reading, where you're given a cutting from a book and you have to read that extemporaneously um, and extemporaneous speaking. Uh, extemporary what? <laughs> <laughs> Extempor- impromptu, essentially. Okay. So it's like okay. you get a question, you have 30 minutes to write a speech about it. Okay. Things like that. Okay. Um, and then uh, and then there's a category called discussion that I tend to avoid because I don't know much about it. Um, <laughs> but it's literally having a discussion. Like you get a task, you're like, you're, you know, a board of directors at a company. Here's the thing you have to decide. And then everyone has to discuss it and come up with a solution. Okay. That's awesome. How many kids are on the speech team? Right now, I think we have 11 this year. 11. At this point. Okay. Yeah. So it's grown. It, we were really small during the pandemic, so we're kind of slowly building back up. Okay. So. Well, good luck to everyone out there. Maybe some of the speech, if you have any speech kids that are interested in podcasting, <laughs> maybe they could Maybe they could come on. I haven't I'll had a student know. yet. I haven't had a, I have not had a high school student on the podcast <sighs> yet. I think it'd be really, really cool to have a high school kid on the podcast who is comfortable talking. I'll let so. them know. Yeah, they're all good talkers. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, what about, let's talk future outlook, just briefly, of of trials, of law, yeah. of of justice. Yeah. Um, I believe, and this, again, AI really, really interests me. I think it was this last year. It was just a traffic violation. It was just like a traffic ticket, but they had an AI defend somebody on a traffic ticket. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> you did see that? Yeah. I don't, that's all I know about it. Do you, what happened? You know what the result of the case was? Did you hear anything about it other than that happened? I remember it happened. I don't remember all the details of it, but I do remember it didn't go well. Okay. And I remember the company doing it was saying they wanted to have AI argue in front of the Supreme Court. Mm. But then it, you know, there was, <laughs> I remember as well, there was a lawyer who had AI find them cases to cite in a brief and they were all fake. Like right. AI just made up cases. False fault. They just generate. Cause it's, it, it, depending on which one you use, it is a, it's not a historical, yeah. like a, a lot of the information I have 
is gray too. When I get that stuff, like the histories, the dates and all that stuff are gray and wrong often. So it's like, it's just like AI in its form right now. It's a language model. It wants to write and it wants to fill in and it wants to make what you tell it to make. Yes. And it will fill in. But that's where the future comes in when you can actually hone that in and you can actually have a, a private model that is specific to your case or your law. I think I do think, and I don't know how I doubt it'll ever get to the point, but I do think it's not, it wouldn't be unheard of to see like a computer judge (laughs) and a computer prosecutor and a computer defense attorney, just the the AIs all arguing with each other. And then the people just standing there and we're done. Click. That would feel so (laughs) surreal. I can't imagine. <laughs> I mean, maybe in like 50 years, that's yeah. like the... Like, maybe it will you be. Know? I mean, I think there's a use for AI now. Um, I just think that there you really can't replace the human component to it. Right. Also because, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about with, and I'll say this to prosecutors a lot or other people, is I'm the one sitting next to this person during a trial, right? And it's, you know, they're going through the worst time in their life being on trial sucks, Mm. right? Like you have all these people sitting there judging you. It's nice to just have a human being next to you who can show some empathy. Like Cannot compute. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. And it's like, you know, I need some sympathy. I like to think that I'm, you know, a warm, empathetic person, but I also know that I have a tendency to, you know, be a little tough with my clients. Um, well, but, most of them are. Most of them have done something very bad. Yeah, some of them. Some of them need it. <laughs> some of them get what they. I mean, the justice is served is a, yeah. is a saying for a reason. Yeah. You know. Like, so, but it's um, you know, AI can't take the client in another room and tell them that they need to fix their face. You know, in the middle of trial, because I've done that where it's like, mm. hey, you know, <laughs> you look really guilty right now. I need you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking really guilty it's right like, now. It's like, can you just calm down? <laughs> oh my gosh. And I've done that. <laughs> yeah, I, I've just seen those, like, uh, some of those, like, futuristic shows, too, where as, and, you know, as, like, the CCTV or the cameras. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've already come to a world now where we have so much more, the world of what is, what can be considered evidence also is, is ever changing, right? They have to define as soon as a new technology comes out, they have to define that that can actually be used as evidence. And how do you authenticate it in court? How do you, um, you know, what kind of evidentiary rules does it fall under? Cause evidence, you know, is a disaster (laughs) trying to figure it out. It's like, I mean, you need a lawyer just for that to figure out what can come in. But, but like the, the extreme future then would, would be that essentially you couldn't get away with crimes because there's so much surveillance, which also scares me. It's super scary. (laughs) That's super scary as well. But that's, I think that that's probably, we're pretty dang close to it. Almost. Well, there's actually some really interesting case law going on about that right now. Um, there are, you know, some interesting, mostly Fourth Amendment questions about search and seizure. Um, there was one, God, it came out while I was in law school. Um, so it probably would have been, I think, like 2016 or 2017 it came out. It was called Carpenter. Um, and it was about uh, cell phone data, looking at cell phones mm. um, without a warrant. 
yep. like looking at your location data and things like that. And courts have determined that they need a warrant for that. Uh, one of the really interesting ones that people are discussing, I don't know if there's been any case law on it yet, but is people submitting their DNA to like 23andMe and uh-huh. Ancestry DNA um, can you know, can law enforcement get that information without a warrant? Mm. Can they just subpoena it? Um, you know, that's an interesting question coming down the pipeline. So as we get this technology, and then, you know, we're talking about AI, what about AI-generated photos to make up evidence? For sure. Like, you know, you see Taylor Swift suing right now because of AI-generated photos of her. Interesting. And so it's like, at what point is it going to happen where... Somebody wants to frame someone for a crime and makes an AI-generated photo. Interesting. We talked about deep fakes too in the future outlook of religion in that episode a oh. couple couple episodes ago, and it's all it's going to change. Yeah. Like it, it AI yeah. computer-generated stuff is going to change yeah. the way we look at what's real and what's not. Yeah. Well, sure. and we see it already with like spoofed phone numbers. Mm-hmm. Like we see that all the time in my job. Like we look at it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we're already starting to see a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I represent people who don't have a lot of money, so right. we don't necessarily see it as much for me right. <laughs> because right. they can't afford a lot of it. <laughs> um, but you know, we're seeing it in my line of work, right? you know? And so it's, um, you definitely have to keep up with the times and mm-hmm. see how it works. So I, I typically ask about, upcoming events i'm not going to ask you about upcoming (laughs) events unless there's like unless you can talk you probably can't talk about anything up and coming or anything in the pipeline i mean there's not you're not allowed to talk there isn't really a lot that a lot exciting can yeah because it's like well and for me you know i'm sitting and thinking like well i have these trials scheduled i don't know if any of them will actually go i don't you know right that sort of thing and i don't keep track of my colleagues and all they do but there aren't a lot of high profile cases right now anyway gotcha the other thing I always usually ask businesses or business yeah. owners about is promotions. Uh. Um, here's the promotion we're running on the podcast right now. Uh, promo code FFBS podcast. When you get arrested, you may get appointed <laughs> Becca. That's all we have to offer you. And her services are free. They are free. So you won't pay. Use When you get arrested, use promo code FFBS podcast <laughs> and you may get appointed to Becca. But what are the chances? Don't. Say anything. Don't say, but don't say anything. But also, like, don't say anything. Please, please don't talk to cops. Don't talk to cops. Huh? That's oh my god! You have the right to remain silent. Use mm. it. Mm. More people should always. Do that. You think that in general, though? Like, let's talk about like a petty. I feel like you're better off like, t- like being upfront when you commit like a petty crime and then you may get, you may get like just off with a warning. If you're like, I'm really like, I'm super sorry. Just don't admit guilt. Just, just nothing. Say nothing. They cannot use your silence against you. Yeah, but they can because there's, but there, there has to be, there has to be some discretion involved in whether or not you're going to write that ticket as an officer. There is, there has to be discretion. Yeah. And there is discretion, but whether or not, but if you say anything, the more you say, the more likely they are going to use something against you. Okay. When you get pulled over and the cop starts asking you all these questions, oh, where are you coming from? Where are you going? They're not doing that to be nice. Right. They're doing that to try to figure out your story so they can search your car. Mm. 
And I know everyone's always like, well, I don't have anything in my car. Why wouldn't I let them? Because you have the right to not let them, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah. And if all you people that don't have stuff in your car, make sure the cops don't search it, then it's going to help all the people, all of us people who do have stuff in our car. So we're not, you know, like it's going to make everybody look the same. You know, yes. that's what we need. We need everybody, yeah. everybody saying, I do not consent to a search. Yes. I do not consent. to. A I search. do not consent. Yep. That's that's all you have to say. And then if they force you into it, you cooperate. There we go. But you don't consent because you have the right to not consent. Um, real quick, there's a reason why I didn't bring this up to like talk about it. But okay. do you know anything about the cannabis law right now? Super gray. I know probably about as much as everyone else because it, the state doesn't even really know a lot. Um, so kind of what's going on with it is there's a committee to determine expungements. Um, so right now the law is in effect in that they're not charging out new marijuana crimes that fall under the law, Mm. but then there are these expungements. No one's been expunged yet. That I know of. Okay. So, um, so I have it happen a lot where, you know, my client's charged with a felony offense they have a prior felony conviction for a marijuana offense. And they're like, well, isn't that going to get expunged? Shouldn't this not be used to determine my sentence now? And I'm just like, I don't know. I I don't know how they're going to do it. We don't really have any guidelines. And so we're kind of acting as though things are not going to be getting expunged because we really have no idea what to do with it. So from my understanding, there was like a committee they formed yep. and the, the original lady who was in charge of the committee, who was supposed to be in charge of the committee to like make all the rules for selling cannabis. She got in trouble for selling cannabis. So <laughs> I'm shocked, <laughs> shocked, <laughs> but I think that's what happened. And then it, I think it set everything kind of back a little bit because yeah. they had to find somebody else to run this committee now. Yeah. So. And I think, you know, I'm really happy about the law. I think it's a good law. Um, I think it's about time, uh, but I think that they did not think about a lot of logistics right. when they passed it. I think Minnesota botched it in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, it, they also accidentally legalized edibles the year before, so then they were like, well, I guess we just have to legalize everything else now. Interesting. And didn't. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. 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 Hum. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about with your profession, with anything that about people breaking laws in Fergus Falls, what you want, you know, I'll give you a chance for advice and uh, mistakes here, okay. but just general about your career, anything you want people to know here? Um, probably not. I mean, I think I just always want people to know that I'm not judging my clients. It's not my place to do that. I don't really care if people are innocent or guilty. I'll ask people a lot, like, you know, when I meet someone when I'm out or whatever and I start talking to them and they hear what I do and they'll act, they'll say something like, oh, I have a prior and I'm, I'll be like, ooh, what do you have? Like, and they're always so embarrassed and I'm like, I don't care. Right. Like, I have sat next to serial rapists. Like, I've sat next to murderers and I've treated them like a human being. I don't care what your history is. You know, you're a human being just as much. Hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the really cool things about my job is that I see this really interesting part of humanity, you know, that a lot of people don't see. Like we talk about substance use and 
criminal offenses and things in media and in popular culture, and we look down on it so much, and we really have this vision of what it means to be an addict or a criminal. And, you know, I have clients of mine who I'm like, if we met some other way, we'd be friends. (laughs) You know, like, you're cool. (laughs) You know, or I have clients who I'm like, you know, I feel really protective of you. Like, you never had a chance, and I want you to have that. So, um, it's, you know, I do have clients who are genuinely bad people, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them, you know, just never had an opportunity and to do better. S- spending time with, with guilty people, a yeah. lot of guilty people, yep. you're, you're, I mean, a lot of those people need help. Yes. A lot of those people are sick yes. or have some issues you're dealing with. So you're kind of, I assume a big part of your job too is, like you mentioned it a little bit, you yeah. touched on like the, the resources and like helping mm-hmm. people get help and helping people find yep. resources. Like you're kind of the front line. You're going to yes. be like the first one to sit down with that person and evaluate them and, and determine yep. kind of wh- whether or not you think they need to go talk to somebody who specializes in a mental yes. condition that they have. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you must have some psychology training a little bit or just what you pick up on in um, yeah, I mean, I studied communications in college, so you get kind of yep, some yep. with that, but a lot of it's just kind of what you pick up on at the job. But, um, you know, there's a reason they call attorneys counselor. Mm. <laughs> like, that's what you do. Like, yep. you know, it's, and it can be emotionally draining. Hmm. Um, I go to therapy myself for it. You there know, you I'll, yep. I'll go in some days and just be like, I, I'm carrying the emotional load of these people yeah. who, you know, yeah. I've never met before. I'm never going to see again, hopefully. Um, and, yeah. but it's like, I'm carrying their emotional load. Yeah. So Dang. yeah, it's a, it's an interesting job. And you know, these people, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, what they're thinking, anything like that, they're still people. They deserve to have someone standing next to them or the, you know, sometimes all they need is someone to believe in them, mm. you know, yep. and be like, hey, I I want you to be successful. Yep. I'm rooting for you. Yep. And, you know, I've had clients end up, you know, I'm their first phone call even long after I stopped representing them because I was the one person who was on their side. Mm. So, yeah. Which is sad that they don't have anyone else for that and they have to come back to their old public defender but it's like it really shows that just treating them like human beings matters. And we have some judges here that are great at doing that. Hmm. And it's like really saying, like, I believe in you. I trust you. I'm rooting for you. And they remember that, hmm. you know, and then they want to be successful. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad that you're we have somebody who's passionate about what they do. There's four yeah. of you. In Ontario County or so Fergus Falls? There are four full-time, three full-time attorneys for Ottertail County, two part-time attorneys for Ottertail County, and then I'm three quarters in Ottertail and one quarter in Wilkin County. Okay, gotcha. So gotcha. there are six of us, but I think we add up to like five, four okay. and a half or five. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right, then. We'll finish up with the last few questions here, but best business it, or sorry, first business, biggest mistake you've made. Ooh. Ooh. And you can't really talk specifics about your trials, but if you yeah. can, I want to hear a mistake <laughs> you maybe have made in the process of representing someone yeah. or, uh, yeah, maybe throughout your early, early parts of your career. I mean, I definitely made some flubs in court before. 
Um, but I think probably, I don't know if I have like a specific moment, but I know there have been times where like, I just didn't look at the case thoroughly enough Hmm. and totally missed something Hmm. and something that mattered. And I, you know, those moments are bad, but I, the one I'll tell, cause this is a funny story was my first time ever appearing in court. So I was a baby, baby lawyer. My first ever hearing, I was representing a guy who was a frequent flyer in our office. My boss was helping me. It was just a bail hearing. So just a first appearance. And I was so prepared to argue for no bail. He was in on a summons, not a warrant. Um, (laughs) I was so prepared to argue for no bail. I was like going through it in my head, so ready to go. The prosecutor made his argument and I sat there and I just all out was like, don't give him bail, let him go. Um, and then the judge was like, well, thank you for that. Uh, but they didn't ask for bail. (laughs) And it's like, I was so focused on making my own argument that I wasn't even listening to what they were saying. Mm, (laughs) So it was, yeah, that was my, (laughs) I still think about that sometimes. And it's like the, uh, I mean, shoot, it's hard enough having conversations like this on a podcast. (laughs) I can only imagine what it feels like to have like official legal conversations (laughs) in court. And yeah. like make a mistake or like yeah. not listen to what someone says and then respond to it in a different way. Yep. I've done that so many times <laughs> on this show where I yeah. like don't really hear, like I like have the next idea of a topic that I want to talk about. So I don't really fully <laughs> grasp or, or like yep. listen to what somebody says before me. So that's a mistake we all make. Yep. But yep. Ha- having that happen in a courtroom, I could imagine is a little bit different. In my first ever courtroom appearance. Okay. It's like, okay. imagine, you know, I'm so confident I'm going <laughs> And now it's like, I'm a lot better because like in trials, obviously I'm thinking about like three different things at once, right? right? Like I have the witness testifying, I'm writing down my questions, I'm listening for objections, my client's probably trying to say something to me. Mm. Um, And so I'm much better at it now, but then especially I was just, yeah, yeah, not ready for it. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. How about best business advice or best legal advice? (laughs) Well, obviously, my number one legal advice is only break one law at a time. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, only break one law at a time. I live in a world where people break the law. And so people are like, just don't break any laws. Well, that's not what happens in my universe. Um, it's not what so, happens. <laughs> you know, it's like you're going to break yeah. the law. It happens. Um, just break one. Um, yeah, don't talk to cops. I'm sorry to any cops that are listening, but you know, you know, that's the advice that is the smart one. Don't talk and, to cops. Yep. Don't talk to cops. Don't consent to a search. There we go. That's my big ones. There we go. I love it. Well, I really appreciated it. I usually ask people contact information too, but I'm going to leave that out because people don't really Please don't contact me. Please don't contact me. Please don't contact me. If you want to be friends and go have a beer, find me somehow. Find me. Yeah. Find me. (laughs) But please don't call me on my work phone. (laughs) Sounds good. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation. (laughs) Really fun. Yeah, absolutely. It was a blast. Appreciate the sponsors. Stumbino's, Elevate, Victor Lundin's, Hotel 8, Biffley's Bookmark, Lakes Area Grow Co. We've got more fine guests lined up. I think I've got uh, Springboard for the Arts next. I think I'm going to have a conversation with Michelle uh, later this week. So yeah, have a good one, guys. (laughs) 